Genesis chapter 12. Verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved, <clears throat> from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Let's pray. Father, I, we pray that, that as we open up your word, that you would open it up to us. That you would really... Let your words sink deep into our hearts, that we are changed by them, that we, are, uh, that we feel loved by them. But this is something that only happens unless you move. So that's exactly what we're asking for. Would you show up today in your word? We know you will, and we already thank you, and we already give you the praise for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. So, I was sitting at the table at the Red Lobster in Greenville, um, sweating profusely, and like my heart was beating out of my chest. Um, across the table sat Leah's parents, um, and this was the conversation. Leah was in Montana. She wasn't at the dinner, but this was the conversation where I asked um, Leah's parents for their blessing. To, to pursue their daughter in marriage. Um, and, and I had already met Leah's parents like before we even started dating. And so it was, you know, like it, it was easy. It wasn't necessarily the most difficult thing. Um, but I went from, you know, this goofy kid that made really bad dad jokes to the goofy kid who made really bad dad jokes who's trying to marry their daughter. So <laughs> made things a little more um, just nerve wracking for me. And Le- uh, Leah's mom, her name is Jamie. Um, she has, I mean, she's the smartest person. Um, like, she has more degrees than Fahrenheit. And so I was, I, was, I was sitting there in my fifth year of my four-year degree. And so I was a little worried about that. Um, and Leah's dad, like, it, you guys will never experience it. But when you're trying to marry his daughter, he can be a little intimidating. Like, if you've met him, you know he's just a really kind and awesome guy. But I've been to the shooting range with this guy. I know what he's capable of. Um, <laughs> So I'm trying to get the words out, and I keep like, because eh, 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 I know, you know, just the, the, the people that I'm sitting in front of. And so Lance, uh, he just grills me for the next, what seemed like two days. Um, and I'm pretty sure the, the lamp at the table, like I'm pretty sure that was like an inch from my forehead. Like it was so hot in that room. Um, but he had all of these, you know, just really good and, and thoughtful questions and, um, and terrifying questions. But 
Um, the sad thing is I really only remember my answer to one of those questions um, because it was the worst answer I could have ever given in my life. He, uh, Lance, he, you know, he got his, his stern brow on his face and he looked deep into the windows of my soul and, and he said, so how do you plan on providing for my daughter? Like, how, how do you plan on, on financially providing for my daughter? And I was like, well, sir, I plan on financially providing for your daughter with money. <laughs> the thought still comes into my head, like when I remember myself saying that, and I cringe every time. It's like, oh, did I really just say that? Um, but I, I, I tell this story, um, like s- somehow by the, by the good grace of God, they still said yes, I'm like we're married. But um, too, too late now. Uh, but I, I tell this story um, because what was true of me that evening is, is true for all of us in this room is in that we long for a blessing. You and I long for a blessing. Deep down, we want for God to bless us. We don't always know or, or can articulate that in our own heads, but, um, but how do we know that we want this? Because there's not an action in this room that is not predicated on, you know what, I, I'm, I'm, trying to seek, I'm trying to find my own blessing. Uh, we want the, the pizza with our favorite toppings, uh, our favorite drink from our favorite restaurant. Uh, and then even if like, we lay down our desires for someone else's desires, we're saying in that moment, you know what, it's going to bless me more to see them get blessed over me it's so like everything that we do, whether we realize it or not, has, a, has a, um, a sense of, you know what, I'm doing this because I want to see a blessing. But a blessing uh, from the Bible is a statement of goodwill and joy that is said about someone as well as the goodwill and joy actually happening. So uh, it's kind of confusing. But um, the blessing uh, that I got from Leah's parents was a statement of goodwill and joy to, um, to saying, go forward with marrying our daughter, um, but also go forward with that life of marriage. Like, it's not just that event. It wasn't just that thing, but the life moving forward in that. So the, the blessing has um, those two things in it. Um, but the, the definition is also goodwill and joy, not happiness, not wealth, not health, not prosperity. Um, the blessing from God like rarely holds any of those things. I, I don't want to say that it doesn't have it sometimes, um, but it rarely holds some of those things. And like it, it even it sickens me that I have to say, like that we have to define the word, um, because of the guys that you know just absolutely pervert the word blessing. Um, it's just ridiculous. But uh, the blessing will have both joy and pain, health and sickness, so on and so forth. But this is what we want. You and I want a blessing from God, and God is the only one who gives it. So then the question becomes, how do we get it? Well, we find the answer in Genesis 12. We must have, <clears throat> and what, we, what we'll see is we must have faith in three, <clears throat> three different ways. First, we hear the call. Second, we abandon the past. And third, we follow God by faith. <clears throat> We hear the call, we abandon the past, and we follow God by faith. You and I find our blessing from God by 
hearing the call of God, listening to God's word and being changed by it, by abandoning our past gods, our functional gods, um, everything that we held dear for um, comfort and security, and by holding fast to God, and then by following God by faith in whatever the call and the abandonment leads to. So uh, let's just take a look at the first one. Look at verse 1. Now, okay, let's stop. Because it says now, we've got to stop. Like, what, what is he saying now for? Um, so just a, just a quick backstory. I'm, I'll probably butcher some stuff. But God creates the universe. Like he creates everything. And then he creates man. And then he's like, hey, Adam, you know, it's, it's not really good that you're alone. Like, you need some help. Here's your helper. Um, so Adam and Eve have kids. And then way on down their lineage, uh, they, there's a man named Noah who has three boys named Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Um, and Shem has kids, and on his way, on, oh, thank you kindly, sir. Was I coughing that loud? Um, <clears throat> Shem, Ham, Shem, and, and Japheth, um, and then Shem, one of Noah's kids, has kids, and then way on down his lineage is where we find a, name, find a man named Terah. Um, Terah and his family lived in, in a land called Ur of the Chaldeans, where he and his family would worship just a whole bunch of different gods, um, but they specifically worshipped the moon, or the moon god, lunatics. <laughs> I was really proud of that one. Um, <laughs> but uh, so they're, wor- they're worshipping the moon god, they're worshipping all these other gods. Um, and after some time, they, they move on to a place uh, called Haran, where they set up shop and they live for what scholars believe to be about uh, 70 years, until Terah dies. Um, and one of Terah's sons is the guy from our passage, Abram. Abram lost his brother already. He lost now his dad. And so he adopts his nephew, Lot. And, and here's where we pick up in verse 1. So now, the Lord said to Abram, and we'll stop there again. This verse also begins a new chapter in the history of of creation where for the very first time ever recorded, um, God begins to save and redeem lowly sinners instead of wiping the face of the earth with them, with a flood. Um, And just as creation began with God speaking it into existence, this new chapter starts with God speaking. But just, just imagine this scene. Like Abram is 75 years old at this point. That's like he's had these gods, he's had these habits formed in, him, in himself from his family. Like they've, they've worshipped everything for this long. And then this God from another religion starts to speak. Like that's crazy to me. Like he's, he's like, yeah, I, I believe in, in the moon and I believe in the moon our father. I guess he would sing. I don't know. Um, but God's, God starts to speak to him. In an instant, um, Abram listens. He's probably walking along his land, um, thinking about the moon. Maybe he's hungry. Maybe he's looking for some berries or, or something. Uh, when out of nowhere, God starts speaking, and Abram listens. And then if you look ahead to verse 3, Abram hears this call. Verse 4, sorry. Abram hears this call and immediately acts on it. Now, this doesn't just happen. 
This isn't, this isn't something that, that just happens. Um, what we know has to be true is that God was already working on Abram's heart to prepare him for this moment um, because you have to have a humility and an openness to hear from God. Um, for instance, uh, I try not to tickle Leah anymore. Um, when, when we first got, let me explain. When we first got married, uh, like I, I had this idea in my head that I would always have tickle fights with my wife and da 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 but Leah absolutely hates being tickled. Um, so like, and she has asthma and that always kicks in like when I'm tickling her. Um, <laughs> it sounds bad. Um, but she would always say, you know, like I, I, you need to stop tickling me, but it was always with a smile and a, cause you know, when you're being tickled, it's funny and you laugh. Um, and that was, that was really confusing for me cause she's like really cute, you know, like stop it, you know, but she's really, uh, she's really angry on the inside. Um, <laughs> But so I, I just wouldn't listen uh, until one day I was tickling Leah, and it finally hit me. Um, not Leah, but, uh, but well, I guess maybe. Because Leah, was, she was trying to run away, and she like swung her arm back, and her, her fist just with so much force hits me right in the esophagus. Um, and so I curled over. I couldn't breathe. Like, ah, ah, and, you know, I was trying to get any breath out. Um, and, and Leah, just real sweet, crouches down next to me. She has her hand on my back, and she says, Ha! Now you know how I feel! I was like, I get it now. I get it now. And the thought I had in my head was, you know, maybe Leah doesn't like being tickled. Um, I, I was humbled to the floor, and, and now, in a sense, open to what Leah had to say. Um, but there had to be humility in order for me to listen. And it's the same uh, for you and I. This is what you and I must seek in our time with God's word because God's call um, for our lives, it only comes from one place. It only comes from God's word, nowhere else. And, and there aren't any specifics, granted. Um, like there's, it's not a roadmap to life where you'll find like, oh, I'm going to marry this person and I'm going to have this job. Um, but like God calls Abram to go, never once mentions where. God calls Abram to go, never mentions where. But God begins blessing Abram by calling him and giving him the ears to hear, and, and then he gets into the actual call and, and all that it entails, and it begins with, <clears throat> begins with him abandoning the past. So this is uh, number two, abandon the past. If you look at verse one again, it says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So at this point, Abram's lived the, um, the life of worshiping the moon gods for 75 years. Um, so for God's call to begin with this, to leave all of this stuff, like that is huge. It is a huge call for, for Abram to leave everything that he's ever known, all of the security, all the things that you know, leave those for what you don't know yet. Leave the known for the unknown. Exchange all that you currently know for everything that you don't know. And he's 75. Like God's telling him, journey through the wilderness, um, take on these barbaric nations eventually. Like he didn't say that yet, probably because he would have had a heart attack. Um, Leave everything you know at age 75? Like, that's crazy. But God's call begins with him telling Abram to abandon 
everything he holds dear and loves so much. On February 2nd, 1952, a man by the name of Jim Elliott waved goodbye to his parents and boarded a ship for the 18-day trip from San Pedro, California to Quito, Ecuador in South America. He and his missionary partner, Pete Fleming, first spent a year in Quito learning to speak Spanish. Then they moved to Shandia, a small Quichua Indian village, to take the place of a retiring missionary. Jim and Pete studied hard to learn the language and fit in. Their hard work paid off, and in six months, both were speaking Spanish well enough to move on to Shandia. When they arrived in Shandia, they also had to learn the speech of the Quichuas. Three years later, many Quichuas had become faithful Christians. Jim now began to feel it was time to tell the Akas about Jesus. The Akas were a people that had killed many Quichuas. They had also killed several workers at an oil company drilling site near their territory, territory, and it was so bad that the oil company closed their site because everyone was afraid to work there. Jim knew the only way to stop the Akas from killing was to tell them about Jesus. Jim and the four other Ecuadorian missionaries began to plan a way to show the Akas they were friendly. And so the missionaries were flown in one by one and dropped off on the Aka beach. The pilot then flew over the Aka village and called for the Akas to come to the beach. After four days, an Aka man and two women appeared. It was not easy for them to understand each other since the missionaries only knew a few Aka phrases. They shared a meal with them and Nate took the man up for a flight in the plane. And the missionaries tried to show sincere friendship and asked them to bring others next time. For the next two days, the missionaries waited for other Akas to come. Finally, on day six, two Aka women walked out of the jungle. Jim and Pete excitedly jumped into the river, waded over to them. And as they got closer, these women did not appear friendly. Jim and Pete almost immediately heard a terrifying cry behind them. And as they turned, they saw a group of Aka warriors with their spears raised, ready to throw. Jim Elliott reached for the gun in his pocket. He had to decide instantly if he should use it, but he knew that he couldn't. Each of the missionaries had promised they would not kill an Aka who did not know Jesus to save himself from being killed. And within seconds, the Aka warriors threw their spears, killing missionaries Ed McCulley, Roger Yordian, Nate Saint, Pete Fleming, and Jim Elliott. Late in the afternoon of Sunday, January 8th, Elizabeth Elliott, Jim's wife, waited by the two-way radio to hear Nate Saint and his wife discuss how things had gone that day, but there was no call. As evening turned to night, the wives grew worried. They knew the news was not good. The next morning, another missionary pilot flew over the beach to look for the men. He only saw the badly damaged plane on the beach. Less than two years later, Elizabeth Elliott, her daughter Valerie, and Rachel Saint, Nate's sister, were able to move to the Aka village. Many Akas became Christians, and they are now a friendly tribe. Missionaries, including Nate Saint's son and his family, still live among the Akas today. Here's a, here's a journal entry from Jim Elliott. It says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep 
in order to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. The call from God necessitates that we leave behind everything. Everything that we find any sort of security in outside of Jesus, we abandon the past that we hold more dear than Jesus and we trust God in whatever he has for us to do, no matter how terrifying or difficult, because we know the truth, it's going to be terrifying and it's going to be difficult. But for Abram and for us, the call is to leave security into a better security. We abandon that which is tangible and ends, and we gain that which is spiritual and everlasting. We hear the call, we abandon the past, and lastly, we follow God by faith. Take a look at uh, verse 4. So God tells Abram that he'll be blessed if he goes, and so there's, there's a promise connected to the call, and the promise uh, is actually, verse, this is part of one and three, sorry. Um, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then just like we saw in Abram, Abram in verse four, so Abram went. This God that Abram didn't know. Remember, he didn't know this God. Tells Abram to go, and he goes. No questions, no looking back, no trying to figure out a strategy, no saying like, well, you know, what if we go this way? He obeys God, and he heads off on his journey. And then starting in verse 4 and on, all of what Abram and his family do, like from that moment on, they're following God by faith. Because... He never told him where. So this is all faith. And if you look, so Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the Oak of Morah, which uh, it's a, it's just a, excuse me, it was a stronghold point for all of these um, worship meetings for those other gods. So this oak is very interesting in that way. Um, and then at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So this journey that they're on took over 400 miles to get there through desert, through dry, parched lands. Um, and then they come up to this mountain pass in between these two mountains. Um, and they look out and see everything before them. And it looks a little bit like this. So they can see, Abram sees the exact, the the fulfillment of the promise. He sees that land, the promised land. And this is the moment where God steps back into the story yet again to remind Abram of the promise. It keeps going. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country, on to the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is faith. 
Abram built an altar for the God, like a strong altar, and merely pitched a tent for himself. He's in the midst of these barbaric, lunatic nations in the wilderness and still cares more for pleasing God than he does for taking care of himself. This is faith. After the fall of Jerusalem to Babylon, a host of Jewish captives were relocated to serve um, in the Babylonian uh, Empire. And among these guys uh, that they sent were um, three young men who were just especially uh, awesome, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, but the king, he's like, you know what? I'm going to put everybody's allegiance to the test and see um, how this goes. So he, he has this giant golden statue built, and he's like, all right, now everybody bow down before me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, essentially, well, this is what they say. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter if we are thrown into the blazing furnace for not bowing down. Um, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. So the king just flies into this wild rage. He's super upset, and he's like, turn the furnace up seven times hotter than it's supposed to be, and then throw them in there. And so the guys gather up these three guys, and they, the, the ones that are throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace, they are burnt up. Like, that's how hot the fire is. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are just fine. And the king looks in there, and he actually worships after seeing this. But these men follow God by faith, just like Abram. Even though it was going to cost them their lives, because they knew that if they lost their lives, just like Jim Elliot, if they lost their lives, they would then gain their lives for eternity. We hear the call. We abandon our past. We follow God by faith. God will bless us. And we want that blessing. But what's, amazing, what's most amazing to me about this passage is that this blessing depends absolutely zero on Abram's ability to do any of these things. Just look uh, back at our passage. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all of the families, shall be, families of the earth shall be blessed. And if you skip down to verse seven, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. It's all God's work. Abram did nothing. He didn't even know the God. And God's promise of blessing has absolutely come true for Abram um, because if you're a believer today, according to Galatians 3, if we are Christ, then we are Abraham's offspring. Abram turns into Abram. Abram turns into Abraham a little bit later. But the very faith that it takes to be blessed by God is the same faith that only God provides. And this is the best news because we would never be blessed if it was up to us. No one in the room can say, you know what, I'm going to bless myself. It doesn't work that way. Nobody can say, you know what, I'm going to give myself this land. It doesn't work. Nobody can bless themselves. 
the blessing that we long for will never be found somewhere in the inner selves of our, our own self. We're only going to find sin there. And since we could never live up to the standard of faith perfectly, the only way that these three things will ever happen, the only way that we will see any sort of blessing is if someone else does it for us. And that's exactly what God does for us in Jesus. The way in, the way to the promised land of heaven is by admitting just how messed up we are that we cannot make it there on our own and by clinging to Jesus as our only way. All of the work that it takes to get the faith, all of the perfection it takes is ours in Jesus. Jesus took on the punishment of our sins and he gave up his blessing so that we might have it. Jesus, the true hero of this story, left the comfort and safety of his home to make a way for sinners to see the promised land all for the glory of God. And because of this, one day you and I will leave this barren wilderness where we have um, nothing but everything that is, that's going to fade away and the intangible blessing will become tangible. One day, our journey here in a strange land will be over and we will be home. What we now must have faith in will one day be right before our eyes. And in the meantime, now that we know because of Jesus we will be blessed, we continue to abandon our past, abandon our sin, and follow God by faith, knowing full well that it is God who does any of it. So that we don't lose it, so that we don't mess it up, And we press on toward our goal. And this is <clears throat> this is a verse that is just really interesting. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, uh, one of which is is our boy Abram, uh, let us also lay aside, or you could read it, abandon every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us, let us run, let us follow God by faith with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is God's blessing. Jesus is God's blessing. Um, this is good news worth celebrating, so that's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together as a family. Um, and if this is your story, if, if God is the one who has done all of the work for you, um, if you are following God by faith in Jesus, then let's celebrate together for Jesus' work on our behalf. But um, if this isn't your story, let today be the day you begin your journey. Con consider this your call. Don't leave today without hearing it. Um, so uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a minute just to, to do work with God. Just help, say, God, help me to, to let this sit deep in my heart. And then... Um, we're going to grab the elements and then we'll come back and, and take them together um, here in a minute. But 
as we do, this is going to be our prayer. Father, thank you for the gift of faith that you have extended to me. Help me to follow you by faith today and tomorrow until my faith becomes sight. So when you're ready, grab the elements, bring them back to your seat, and we'll take them together here in a minute. all God's work. But how do we know that God will do it for us? On our worst days, how can we always be sure that you and I will receive this blessing? Because we already have. Because Jesus has already done this work. Because on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the immense grace to us that you have called us to such high a standard yet provided the means for us to, to make it. You looked down on us lowly sinners and said they need help. Here we come. So as we go, Whatever, whatever call it is that you have um, for each of us in this room, as we go, we pray that you would always remind us of your presence, that you would drop in just like you did for Abram and say, remember your promise. This is what's coming. <coughs> we, we thank you for the good news of the gospel that, that because of Jesus, we get to have a story like this. Thank you, and we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray.